1: Welcome to Dale Borglum's Healing at the Edge. We are very happy to share with you Dale's profound insight and open heart. Please go to Behernow Network.com slash Dale to support this podcast. Compassion literally means with passion. We talk about the passion of Christ, his suffering. And I think it's really interesting how the word passion has changed from suffering to what we think of as passion now. And yesterday I repeated a Rumi quote where he says, grief is the garden of compassion. So suffering arises. Can we meet it with passion? Can we meet it with compassion? We've been talking about a developmental healing path where compassion being a heart quality really depends in a very direct and crucial way on being grounded and centered and having a clear awareness. When there isn't this clear awareness, very often then we relate to suffering either by pushing it away, or by getting lost in it. Compassion fatigue, being overwhelmed by the suffering that's in the world. So, genuine compassion is based on an autonomous, centered, very alert, awake person being with what is going on there. And what is going on there includes, at the same time, the human suffering, the tragedy of people dying, of of children being hungry, of uh, people being shot for no reason, as well as the perfection of karma unfolding. Suffering is only suffering. Two people can experience the same exact event, and one will suffer and one will not suffer for me i think for a lot of people working with suffering in the body is a very interesting and direct way to begin to see how automatically we pull back from suffering and from not feeling comfortable is it possible even right now as we're sitting here as you let your attention go through your body Uh, some of you are sitting on the floor, some are sitting in bamboo chairs, which are quite attractive but not necessarily designed for long periods of sitting and listening to me talk about compassion. (laughs) There is some discomfort in your body. And as I look around the room, I see people doing all these unconscious acts as a way of dealing with minor uh, lack of comfort. So the medical community has had a very difficult time quantifying physical pain because they are conflating pain and fear of pain. Is it possible to use medication for pain but to use meditation awakeness for fear of pain for instance if somebody is dying it's really a shame for them to be overly medicated because the end of life is potentially a time for profound awakening of relating to loved ones in a way that maybe didn't happen before in your life if we had time i could tell you about how i helped both of my parents die and very wonderful things happened that had not happened in the previous many decades. But if they were overly medicated, if they were taking all these drugs so that uh, they were not really present, then it would have been very difficult to be with them with that directness. So there are even studies, Dr. Stan Groff, Uh, was funded by the National Institutes of Health to give uh, psychedelics to people who were approaching death who were certified to have terminal illness. And this was to see if they could help people be less afraid of dying. And what they found was that it was very successful, but what they found that surprised them was that after the study, many of these people experienced a significant reduction in the need for pain medication, even though uh, the psychedelic being used has absolutely no pain-relieving property. So if I think that I'm 5 feet 8 inches tall and weigh 170 pounds, and there's X amount of pain bouncing around inside of me, that can be a really big problem. But if I have an experience that leads me to believe I'm the whole universe, and that same amount of pain is bouncing around inside of me, well, not such a big deal. Here we're talking about physical pain. The mind is much more manipulative and seductive. It's much more complicated. It's much harder to realize that even emotional pain is something that could be contextualized in the Empty, spacious heart. Ramdas was saying that compassion without wisdom or wisdom without compassion does really not work. Compassion without wisdom tends to be mushy and exhausting. Wisdom without compassion tends to be dry and brittle. We've been talking about compassion. What is wisdom? Wisdom is that the heart is. Selfless, spacious, there's really no solid person there, that everything is impermanent, that there is no permanent self, that suffering is caused by attachment. So, one thing I would suggest is beginning to deal with painful sensations in your body and notice how the mind confuses pain and suffering. There are uncomfortable sensations that don't need to be really perceived as suffering, received as suffering. I believe Ram Dass told the story about his friend Ginny Pfeiffer, who was approaching death. She was writhing in pain, and she said that she had never felt better in her life. And I have been around several people who were dying in a great deal of physical pain, and yet they were not suffering. And in fact, dying with physical pain is often easier than dying without pain because the pain begins to eject us from identification with the body so that we have a body. This is not some Marin Ojai woo-woo thing that you're not the body. I mean, we do have a body. We do have a personality. But there is this other dimension, and in fact, once again in the in the tape there, Ramdas was talking about twofold beings. Can we hold these two truths at the same time? That there are so many stories in this room. There is a lot of suffering in this room. We can see it. We can see the uncried tears in each other's faces. And can we look around the room and see Maharaji shining through each set of eyeballs? both are true at the same time and that is wisdom and without that wisdom compassion becomes impossible so how many of you have done a practice called tong len or taking and sending just a handful so i would like to uh explain this practice we'll we'll do it together And if I can pat myself on the back, even people who have done this before, I think might get a deeper understanding of the way it's going to be presented. Tonglen is a a Tibetan Buddhist practice, T-O-N-G-L-E-N. It means taking and sending or giving and receiving. And it is a practice that will help you cultivate compassion and loving kindness. Traditionally, it is taught as a practice for another person because in Tibet, uh, if you're a practitioner, you're probably not suffering too much. And I lived in Tibet for a little while. I walked around Mount Kailash, and I met a lot of Tibetan people who were incredibly happy people. They didn't have a lot of stuff. But you would be walking on this mountain path, And there would be an old woman coming from the other direction on the path. And she was so delighted to see me. When you're walking down the sidewalk in Ohio or Los Angeles or San Rafael, does that happen? Not too often, not too often. Okay. So in Tonglen, as I said, it's often taught for the other person. In the West, it's often very useful to do Tonglen for yourself. And it can also be done for a group of people. In a way, one of the the deepest healing practices I have found is being honest and centered and present enough to admit what your deepest pain is, where your deepest suffering is, and do Tonglen for that place. And in fact, On that back table are Living Dying Project newsletters, and my lead article is called Healing the Deepest Wound, which is really uh, talking about what I'm going to say next. Gurdjieff, the rascally teacher, said that everybody has something called their chief characteristic, which is the place where you are so caught that you don't even know it, and it's the first thing everybody sees about you. So that's why we're in relationship so that people can tell us, show us, reflect that place. Here's how we do the practice. And as I said, it can be done for somebody else. We could do Tonglen for victims of a shooting. We could do Tonglen for Donald Trump. We could do Tonglen for uh, our friend Rado, who was in an automobile accident. We could do Tonglen for anybody. Uh, But just for the sake of me being able to talk about this with all the different possibilities, I'm going to explain it as doing Tonglen for part of yourself, and I'll explain it and then we will do it together. There are five stages. The fourth stage is the main stage, eventually you can just go right to there, but it's useful to get the whole Megillah, whatever they call that thing. Okay, I think Meshuggan is a little different. (laughs) Even though I'm not Jewish, this is not I right here right now. Okay. So, uh, the first thing is you open your heart. It's called flashing on compassion. How can you open your heart to begin to do the practice? One of my Tibetan teachers said that he remembered a time when he was a young boy in Tibet, and he saw other boys stoning a puppy, and it ripped his heart open. I mentioned probably two days ago that there are three qualities of the open heart. Does anybody remember them? Warm, open, and spacious, A+. Okay, so you could go to either of those three qualities. Let your heart be spacious. Breathe the sky into your heart. You could remember a time when your heart was really warm, when you were thinking about Maharaji, or you were connected to Hanuman or Maharaji, or you're watching your baby being born, or you know, just so you're out in nature, perfect piece of music. You open your heart. And then the second part of the practice, in a way the, the most crucial and the most difficult part, is you feel in a very direct immediate way, a naked way, the suffering of this person. So here, you know the suffering because it's your own suffering. You actually feel it. If it were Donald Trump, you would feel what you imagine is his suffering. You don't just imagine his suffering. You feel what you imagine it to be. I mean, just think of imagining feeling what you imagine he feels, okay? So you feel the suffering, and you begin to go into that. You deepen that. You deepen that feeling. You feel it deeply enough, finally, that compassion begins to arise. You begin to have a heartfelt wish that this part of you, or somebody else if you're doing that, is free from suffering. You're, you go into your heart, you're in your heart, you're wishing that that suffering end. And you go into the compassion deeply enough that now you go into stage four, the main part of the practice, where you, the meditator, become willing to take the suffering of suffering you into you. So you're meditating, in front of you is suffering you, here is meditating you. And you're, as the meditator, willing to take that suffering into your own body. Or you're willing to take the suffering of Donald Trump into your own body. Now, when I first heard about this practice from Kala Rinpoche, the Dalai Lama's meditation teacher, I thought, this is a practice only for codependent fools and masochists. And I do not want to do this. This is not for me. But after a year of hearing him talk about this, I decided I would try this. And I have done this now thousands of times, and I can say that I have never felt more toxic or heavy or dark at the end of taking in suffering because the nature of the heart is truly boundless. Your heart can contain all the suffering in the universe. So, the fourth part of the practice, you're feeling compassion for this part of yourself. And as you breathe in, you imagine that the suffering is congealing. If you like to visualize, which I do not, I'm more of a feeling meditator than a visualizing meditator. But if you like to visualize, you can visualize the suffering congealing as hot, dark smoke. And as you breathe in, You take the suffering with compassion, focusing on the feeling of compassion, into every pore of your body, into your heart of hearts. And as you breathe out, you send the antidote with loving kindness, with the optional visualization of cool white light. Focusing mostly on compassion as you're taking and breathing in, and loving kindness as you're sending and breathing out. You do this for a while. You can be driving down the street and see a homeless person and do two or three breaths. You have somebody that you uh, some part of yourself or somebody that you really care about. You can sit down and do this as a as a, a practice for 20 or 30 minutes. You can be going to bed at night and you decide that instead of counting sheep. Yield the Tonglen for everybody you know who is suffering, which it turns out is everybody you know, right? So I think of the people in my groups. I think of my son and his mother. I think of my friends who are, have cancer right now and on and on as a way of opening my heart as I'm going to sleep. So then there is a, an optional closing where this part of me that's suffering is joined by all the people in the world who are suffering in roughly approximately the same way. And I do the practice then for the collective as a way of taking the practice beyond a personal thing into a relationship with that quality of suffering itself. So I remember I was sitting with Kala Rinpoche and a young woman said, My friend has breast cancer, and I would like to do Tonglen for her. But I'm afraid if I do it, I will get cancer. And Kala Rinpoche said, If you do it and you'll get cancer, you'll know that it works. And he laughed. (laughs) That was a Buddhist joke. (laughs) Okay. What a joke. Okay. (laughs) Okay. You're not breathing in the cancer. In fact, you can't breathe in the cancer. You're breathing in the suffering. Now, you may notice that in the middle of the practice, I am not fixing the bad stuff. I'm not taking in the suffering and transmuting it to the, the loving antidote. I'm realizing that my heart is boundless. I'm not fixing anything. I'm taking in that which is most difficult and giving out freely that which is most precious. And because of that, this practice cuts at the root the place of your self-clinging. The place where we feel I've got to protect myself, I've got to get enough to survive, I've got to uh, make sure that I'm okay. We're cutting through that. We're saying, I am willing to take the suffering that is out there and give freely my blessing, my love. So uh, I'd like to do this practice now. And I'd like to begin by asking each of you to, as honestly as you can, see if you can find a place in you that has been suffering lately, some place, some pattern that causes you to get caught that you, you have a hard time feeling compassion for? Okay. So begin then by opening your heart. Spacious heart. Warm heart, connected heart. Maybe feeling your connection with Maharaji with Hanuman, with the mother. Realizing that the boundless sky is in your chest. No boundary to the compassion that is your true nature. And imagine then sitting in front of you Suffering you. Look at her face. Look at his face and see the suffering on that face. How this part of you has been struggling. And meditating you begins to feel how suffering you has been caught. How suffering you has been suffering. How... Nakedly and directly, how vividly are you willing now, as an open-hearted meditator, are you willing to feel that quality of suffering? How it's in your body, how it's been affecting your relationships. Feel this more and more directly. being touched by what you've been going through. And begin to feel compassion then for this part of yourself. Compassion for suffering you. An increasing wish that he, she be free from suffering. You really, truly, in a heartfelt way, wish that this part of you be healed. The fact that it's appeared to you now is indicating it's ready to be healed. It's ready to be open to. Deeper, deeper compassion. Until now, you are willing to take the suffering into your very body. You as the meditator. And as you breathe in, the suffering is congealing in the body of suffering you it's coming out of that body into through every pore of your body into your heart of hearts and as you breathe out you send the antidote with loving kindness we breathe in with the optional visualization of hot dark smoke focusing on compassion we breathe out sending the antidote of strength or healing or love with loving-kindness with the optional visualization of cool white lights taking with compassion sending with loving-kindness And then imagine that this part of you is joined by all the other people in the world who are suffering in roughly the same way. You know what their suffering is like. It is so similar to your own. And you begin to feel their collective suffering. All these countless suffering faces in front of you. feeling their suffering beginning to feel compassion for all of these beings compassion deepening to the point that you're willing to take all of the suffering into you as you're doing it you begin to notice how their faces are changing taking with compassion Sending with loving kindness. Boundless heart, spacious heart, compassionate heart. Finally bidding a loving farewell to all of these beings. Coming back into your own heart, into your own practice. Heart supported by strong belly. And back here into the room. When I train people to guide the dying, this is one of the main tools in the toolkit. It's a very powerful practice. As I say, it cuts through at the very root of our suffering. So, I mean, what comes up in my mind as you ask that question is, did Maharaji suffer after he became who he was? And he, he did a thing that always completely blew my mind where he would send us away because he said, I'm getting attached to you. You have to get out of here because when you're here too much, then it hurts my heart. And yet I'm not sure that was really suffering. I mean, I think we're playing with words there in a certain way. And uh, one definition I would think of enlightenment is you are free from suffering. It doesn't mean that you're not moved by the suffering in the world. It doesn't mean that you don't feel the pain in your body and in, in the collective. But it means that you're not unconsciously reactive and suffering. So it is. It, it it brings up a couple of really interesting points that I wanted to make because we only have 10 more minutes of compassion talk this weekend. One point is that it's really useful to be alert to how, how botheration arises. What bothers you? What disturbs your peace? What cuts through equanimity? And if, in fact, your life is an experiment in truth, then noticing those places is really good news. Uh, the other point is that compassion does not necessarily stop suffering it makes it bearable and workable and if we think that we're being compassionate to push suffering away that is false compassion it is really not true compassion there's a an attachment that's part that's defiling the compassion maybe just to a little bit but still it is not pure compassion. so that can we feel an open heart meeting suffering and realizing the suffering might stay. This is not being done to fix. It's being done as a practice to open and to heal, to become whole, and wholeness includes the suffering of the world. And Ram Dass was talking before about wisdom and compassion. Uh, the nature of the heart is spaciousness and. We have an inherent fear of emptiness, which I think he also mentioned, or maybe I mentioned, I don't know, but fear of emptiness, that the ego structure keeps saying, wait a minute, what about me? You you may notice that when you're meditating and everything feels really great, then you start thinking again. And I was at a long Vipassan retreat once, and I asked myself, I, I get in this place that's that's almost blissful. It's, my mind is spacious. There's, uh, it's just uh, it's feels so harmonious and open. Why do these distracting thoughts keep coming back? And so I really paid very very careful attention. I can't do this except at a long retreat. So I noticed there was this sequence of uh, spacious, happy mind, joyful mind, thought, awareness of thought. Spacious mind, but if I really paid attention right before the thought was fear of death Not like dale i'm afraid of death But something in me was getting a little uncomfortable with not having thought for a while Descartes said I think therefore I am And the ego believes that so that the ego wants to keep reifying itself. And it's got a really hard job because it doesn't exist. (laughs) And, And it's got a doubly hard job because our spiritual job is to disidentify with it, right? So the ego's got major problems, but it keeps jumping in there and saying, hey, don't forget about me, I'm important. And the ego is a survival tool, it's a necessary tool. We're not trying to destroy it, we can't destroy it, but we don't have to identify with it. We are so, so, so much vaster than who we think we are. Maybe last night during one of the kirtans, the last two nights, that the heart gets so large that the mind is just this tiny little speck. Uh, I would like to give myself a plug. and I run the Living Dying Project. Uh, there is a website, livingdying.org. There are some newsletters on the back table. I train people in the Bay Area to offer free of charge one to one support for people who uh, might be approaching death. We have an online workshop that people from all around the world take, that is uh, the training that we offer in person in the Bay Area that has two two-hour live streaming support sessions. And I work with people all around the world via Skype or FaceTime or telephone. So if you're interested in any of that, uh, and we exist on donations pretty much, I I found out, much to my surprise, that offering free-of-charge, one-to-one support to dying people is not the world's greatest business model. (laughs) Who knew, right? (laughs) So, uh, what haven't we said about compassion yet? So, in Eastern Orthodox Christianity, they talk about the process of letting the mind drop into the heart. And we often think of the mind as the as as problematic, that if I'm thinking, I'm not in my heart. It's very good training to learn to think with an open heart. The mind is not the enemy, the mind is a tool. And the ego mind is often just a way of filling up space, of getting distracted. Jack Cornfield tells the delightful story that he was as a forest monk he was out in the forest where forest monks are and uh, doing walking meditation and he said his mind was so quiet that he hadn't had a thought for two days and out of nowhere came use ajax boom boom the foaming cleanser (laughs) which was not really the ego it was just something that had been shoved down there in childhood and came floating up out of the unconscious but there is also the working mind when you need to do your taxes when you need to uh, figure out what you're going to do today you can do that with a compassionate loving heart it's not one or the other right but it takes training to use the heart to use the mind and be in the heart at the same time Uh, in one of Ram ramdas's talks he maybe even in the movie he was talking about compassion allows one to have a peaceful death and in truth what we're talking about here is compassion is the fourth chakra and when we're dying we die into enlightenment uh one of the first things that happens after you die is you die into the light the tibetans say that this light is as bright as a thousand suns. We've been talking for three days about compassion, working with suffering. There's another path, working with the light. And these are two parallel paths. In fact, working with the light is often a harder path because when suffering arises, there is an inherent motivation to do something about it. When the light arises, we say, oh, that's just the way it's supposed to be. I don't have to really do anything now. Can we cultivate that light that is as bright as a thousand suns? Because that's what's going to happen when you die. And if that light is too bright, there goes another incarnation. Okay, so compassion allows the mind-body to begin to stabilize. Imagine how simple your life becomes when you're motivated by compassion. Not, do they like me? Am I getting enough? What's going to happen next? But what is the compassionate thing to do right now? And to that extent, with that mind becoming stable, then we can go into the throat chakra, the wisdom mind, uh, the seven chakra, and go into that place of wholeness, which is where we will be going when we die. Are you aware? What is it as you answer that question? Can you hang out in that place of looking at awareness? As you watch awareness, the awareness of hearing me talk, are you more fixated on content and collecting and trying to fix and improve? Or can you just be with the process of consciousness meeting experience itself? Consciousness does not die. Your personality, my personality, our bodies will die. So that all this compassion stuff, it's wonderful, but it's, it's only a step to liberation. It's a step to one mind. It's a step to letting go of identification with separateness at all. We cannot go to that step, we cannot go to wholeness without going through compassion along the way. And look at you shining now.